Jersey is the world. Hi everybody, Chris Gethard here. Welcome to another episode of New Jersey is the world. As always, it's a joy to be your host. As we explore New Jersey's culture, history, food, politics, happenings, nostalgia, anything. Anything that makes sense. I've had a very Jersey day myself. I went ahead and uh, went down to the Western St. Patrick's Day Parade today. It's uh, March 12th, Sunday, and I went last year. I think I talked about it on the podcast. It was, there was not much of a crowd, and it made me bummed out. My old neighborhood, that was always the big event of the year. And this year, kudos to everybody who organized the West Orange St. Patrick's Day Parade. It was packed to the gills, man. I could tell when I pulled into the old neighborhood, saw how many cars were parked, how many cars were looking for parking. I said, ooh, they bounced back hard. They managed to get the word out this year. And I brought my son, and we watched uh, bands, and he loved all the police motorcycles, and he got to eat junk food. But I'll tell you what, I met some people, you know, some people recognize me. Are you the guy from Class Action Park? Had one person come up to me and go, I thought I would see you here. I'm going to leave you a voicemail for the podcast soon. Ma'am, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if anybody who recognized me noticed this, but um, so parents will identify with this. I drive down there from Morris County. It's like a 35 minute trip. I get out of the car. I'm on my old block showing my son this is the house where I grew up. Across the street is the house where your grandpa grew up. My grandfather, your great-grandfather owned that house. On my old little block. And I had Cal's water bottle in my back pocket. Stuck it back there because he was carrying something else. And I bent over to pick this boy up. And I'll tell you what, the way that the fabric went taut right over that water bottle, my pants split from my ass down to the back of my knee on the left side and I said well I drove 40 minutes and I promised this boy a parade I gotta go tend to the parade the person sitting next to me was so sweet and so lovely I won't name names but she graduated high school with my brother and Mike D and Bonaduce and we talked the whole time uh, she kept offering callus eat which was nice people bring you know folding chairs and he didn't want one. If she had offered me a seat, I would have sat down in a heartbeat because my pants were torn to shreds. It looked like I had been attacked by an animal. And people came up to me and were saying nice things about my work. And none of them, if any of them noticed, they didn't say anything. So that's the down the hill way right there. We keep our mouths shut. Anyway, very excited to bring you today's episode because... It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. You might remember last year, uh, we did our whole episode on St. Peter's. Shaheen Holloway brought this tiny school in Jersey City deep into March Madness. March Madness is beginning again. And it's just a fact that basketball and Jersey go together. And after last year, the stage has been set for a lot of enthusiasm. And I'll give you a couple updates uh, before we even get into today's interview with the great Jerry Carino. Um, Seton Hall crapped out. They had some injuries they were dealing with. They were fighting the good fight, but between the uphill climb of this season and the injuries, they will not be making March Madness. As I'm recording this, they're wrapping up the final games that will determine March Madness, but it would be a shock if Rutgers didn't get in. Rutgers lost a bunch of games. It was looking like they might actually crap out, um, but looks like they're making it. So as far as the big two Jersey teams go, looks like a lot of us Jersey fans are going to be keeping an eye on Rutgers, rooting Rutgers in this tournament. And, uh, and yeah, those are the updates based on some things we talked about. Now let's talk about Jerry Carino. I've read so many of his words. He's a writer for the Asbury Park Press. He's a great guy. I was psyched I got to talk to him. And I'd go so far as to say that there's not many people who know more about basketball in New Jersey than Jerry Carino. That's a fact. Um, from the way that the college teams play to the way that the high school players come out of here and why Jersey players are built the way they are, I really love this conversation because, A, I really... I have followed Jerry's work for years, so this was a bucket list item to get to pick his brain. And then on top of it... We're entering March Madness now, and I got to talk about not just the specifics of what happens in March Madness and different Jersey schools with him, but 
Why? Why is this sport one that Jersey takes to? Why do certain players catch on in the psyche and the imagination of New Jersey? There's a quote. I think it happened after I interviewed him. I interviewed him a few weeks back. Rutgers played another team in the Big Ten, and the, the opposing coach afterwards said, you know... If we ever have to fight in a war, we're coming to Jersey first. We're picking those guys up because we want them fighting in the trenches alongside us. And that's the whole state. And the tenor of this state, the attitude of the state, is strangely reflected in the basketball that gets played in this state. So to be able to talk to somebody who's an authority like Jerry Carino on that, dream come true. And I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Thank you, Jerry, for talking to me and for all your writing over the years. Hi, everybody. Chris Gathard here. Welcome to New Jersey is the World. And if you've been listening to the show at all, you will probably quickly pick up on that this is a, a fantasy episode of mine. We're interviewing someone who writes uh, largely about sports for the Asbury Park Press. It is someone who I've read, I'm going to say, 95% of stuff he's written in the past wow. 10 years. God bless you. The great Jerry Carino is here. Jerry, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Thanks, Chris. Here's, here's what this time of year is for me in a nutshell. Uh, and I'm so glad to do these, these things because I love the people who love what I love, you know, and that's what it's all about. Last night I'm at the Iron Whale restaurant in Asbury Park at dinner and the waiter uh, comes up and he says, before I take your order, I have a question for you. And I said, sure. And he said, what do you think of Rutgers at Illinois Saturday? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I said, I don't know. I'm not feeling too good about it. Uh, you might want to just uh, save your money. But uh, it was. this is a time of year. And then five years ago, Chris, ten years ago, these conversations wouldn't have happened. But, like, I got lucky in that I poured a lot of effort into, into covering, you know, college basketball. And and it has the, – the teams have really gotten good, and there's a lot of enthusiasm, and it makes it fun. It's really, it's been a remarkable time. I mean, I, to give a little bit of my background, I grew up in West Orange, born in 1980. So that Seton Hall 1989 team was like a transformative thing sure. in my childhood. And on top of that, my aunt was a server at the Star Tavern in that stretch of life. The players all used to hang out. Yep. So they were like gods in Essex County. Then I went to Rutgers where this was, I went to Rutgers pre-Shiano's first run where the basketball team was not good, but they were kind of the only thing to root for. So I occupy that weird space where I'm a lifelong diehard Seton Hall fan who will also in passing keep an eye on Rutgers, even though those two fan bases generally hate each other. Um, and then of course, last year, any listener to the show knows that we all flipped out about St. Peter's kind of taking over national spotlight, sure. alone, becoming, becoming a legends in Jersey city with each passing game. So I can imagine a fun time to cover basketball in Jersey. I also have to say it's very fun being a Seton Hall fan and talking to you because you occupy a very strange place amongst Seton Hall fans too, because to be a Seton Hall fan largely revolves around this one message board, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And oh, a of lot course. A lot of great posts on there. I don't know the guy. I've never talked to him, but shout out to Hall Dan who runs that board. He's a very He's a good guy. Very good resource. I'm sure you've met him a million times. But it is a fan base where I can say, as a member of that fan base, who doesn't post on that board but reads it, it's a fan base that tends to have a bit of a sky is falling attitude. And then there is a little bit of, but what does Jerry have to say about it? And you're kind of the voice of reason that keeps every Seton Hall Pirates fan from jumping off a bridge every three days during the Big East. Yeah, I consider myself like a counselor, right, for these fans. And yeah. we go through it. We go through it every year, uh, especially when Kevin Willer was the coach and a team would lose five straight games in January. Every year! I'm back to counseling people. It's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. The team's good. A lot of ball left. Long season. And most of the time, I'm right. You know, most of the time it does tend to work itself out. Sometimes this guy does fall. Uh, you know, part of it is, is Chris, and I... You know, I don't get, I don't talk about this much, but I think it's appropriate for this podcast. I'm a Seton Hall alum, okay, and and I don't. It's not something I, I infuse into my work really at all because I'm covering Rutgers and all these other teams too. But I do think, like the folks over there, know that I've been doing this long enough where they know, 
And so they kind of know, I understand that like seat for Seton Hall basketball is everything right for the, for the Rutgers sports fan. You have football, you have basketball, you have all these other sports. Uh, Rutgers is a place with really varied interests, right? And for Seton Hall, it's very, it's all basketball. So I understand people riding and falling on it. My father, my father's not an alum, okay? But he sent two kids there. And uh, my father's actually a Jersey City guy. So he went nuts with St. Peter's too. But during the games, I get texts from my father, maniacal, like message board quality texts. Now, my father has no idea what the message board is, but he knows how to send a text, okay? And the text about the officiating and, you know, the announcers, and it is wild. One of these years I could publish a book on my dad's text. It is wild. So I understand that mindset, and yes, my whole thing is take a breath. It's going to be fine. And most of the time, you know what? Most of the time it is because Seton Hall, at Seton Hall, basketball is always going to be front and center, and that means it's always going to be something that, you know, they make sure it doesn't slip by the wayside. And now you have a coach where that's not going to happen. It, it is true. Um, Shaheen Holloway, he was St. Peter's coach last year. He took over for Seton Hall. I'm just trying to give some of the basics for some of our listeners who sure. might not be sports nuts. Before we get into some of the Jersey side of this, I got to say, I was watching the first half of the season and I was going, man, it was he an overrated coach? Like this team doesn't really feel like it's got its act together. And then halfway through the season, it, you started to realize, oh, this team's clicking and you could, it looks like from the outside, maybe only because he seems to be something of a prodigy of a coach. Like, it seems like he's the real deal in a big way. Yes. I'm looking forward to the next few years. And then Rutgers fans, some of the recruits they're getting, four stars, five stars. They just got put on Nas Cunningham's final five, West Orange native Nas Cunningham, who is, I mean, Rutgers has a future that's looking like they're turning a corner towards becoming something that's almost institutional in basketball. That's really it was unthinkable like just a few years ago, right? Right, Chris? Yeah. I mean, Pykel is, is a wizard, huh? Yeah, he's first of all, he's a great guy. Uh, he's a tremendous guy. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, we had a round of furloughs during a pandemic, and we all got furloughed, you know, a couple of weeks here and there. And he, he called me during the furlough and said, is, you know, is there anything I can do for you? And of course, you know, of course, I said, no, there's nothing you do for me, but it was really nice of you to call. And he's just a good guy. Uh, I think that's part of it. He makes connections with people. I'm trying to get him to spice up his post-game press conferences, Chris. He turns off. He's got a lot of charm. He turns it off for the post-game. I'm like, come on. People want to see that stuff. We had enough so, of that with Willard. Uh, Will, a lot a of that with Willard. That we know you have a better sense of humor. Why are you such a straight face when it, when it's on the record? That was Willard's thing. Yeah, and Willard, Willard, you know, for spent spent 12 years talking about wine in his press conferences, and then he goes to Maryland and starts talking about beer. So I got to get to the bottom of that. I will tell you, Kevin, this is this will make you smile as a New Jersey centric guy. Kevin's Kevin's really heartbroken about that he can't get anything to eat down there. I bet you know, I living bet. in College Park, it's it's in that area, that suburban Maryland area. The Italian food stinks. And it really bothers him, like, to the core. Like, I called, I texted him, I said, how you doing? He goes, I'm terrible. And I said, well, what's wrong? He said, I can't eat. <laughs> so when he came up here, you might have seen when he visited Rutgers, they, they got their butt kicked at the rack. And, of course, we're going to still call it the rack. They got their butt kicked at the rack last month. But he went home with a bunch of trays of Italian food. So it worked out okay. But, yes, these are good, these are, these are good days, heady days for Rutgers and Seton Hall. You have two coaches who are in it for the long haul who really know how to connect with people and who can coach basketball. And after years in the wilderness for Rutgers and, you know, ups and downs for Seton Hall. And for me too, you know, when you cover these teams, you kind of go up and down with them because like if the teams suck, your readership plummets, interest is low. You feel like you're wasting your time and it just sucks to watch shitty basketball. But on the other hand, uh, now, you know, it's all paying off. So is there good times for fans, for those of us who covered a team? And yeah, the coaches are, they're really good, and the future is super bright, and that, that makes it fun. So I wanted to ask a broad question kind of out of the gate before I alienate any of our fans who aren't uh, sports dedicated. And, I, and if there's time at the end, I will have a million other nerdy Seton Hall century sure. questions for you. And I'm, I'm just so – I'm glad – I will say this too. We, you were Raz and Pykel for being straight-faced and Willard for being straight-faced, but 
at the very least, Shaheen seems to have no qualms giving a charismatic quote in a press conference. So I'm sure that makes your job fun. I almost fell out of my chair when he dropped five F-bombs after the Marquette game. I mean, that's really unusual now. But I, I never, my whole thing is, Chris, I never want to chat. be one of those media guys who chastises a coach for straight talk, right? I want to know what's really going on, how a coach really feels. And people say, well, you're not supposed to say that. Well, I'm never, you're not supposed to. I want to know the straight truth. But even that was a lot, you know, five F-bombs. And then a a couple, he walked, so he goes, he's going into the press conference and he turns to the people who handle publicity for Seton Hall, do a great job, really good people. And he goes, am I allowed to curse in my, in my press conference? And, uh, (laughs) and the, the guy says, well, what do you mean by cursing? He goes, can I say, you know, we got our ass kicked. And he's like, yeah, you can say that. You know, it's 2023. You can say that. So that was just the start of it. He walks in. We got our ass kicked because we practiced like shit for two days. And I let us. And then it just went downhill from there. But, yes, there's no Shaheen is real. He is who he is. And I think, you know, you should be able to, as a fan, as a media member, as an onlooker, as someone who likes sports, you should be able to appreciate that. So, I have a feeling there's going to be a few more of those down the road. Put your helmet on. Oh, I mean, even if you compare, there was a player, for anybody listening who's not a fan, there's a guy named Bryce Aiken, really brilliant player who transferred to Seton Hall, and he had a concussion, got called for a foul when he was concussed. It was, it was bad to watch as a fan. And there were all these rumors, is he coming back, is he not? And Kevin Willard just wouldn't answer it. for. He wouldn't go on the record about it all season. And it, it was... As a fan from the outside, it got to a point where it was comical, and then it got to a point where it was just sort of irritating. We were like, well, I'm just sort of worried about this kid at this point. Can you tell us what's going on just as someone who's watched him play? Whereas Shaheen Holloway, there's a, a guy right now named Alexis Yetna who the team would be, I mean, they are punching above their weight, and if they had him, it wouldn't be as much of a sentence you could say. And Shaheen has now gone on record. I believe the quote was something along the lines of, that fucking kid's not going to come save us. Right. And it was just jarring, but refreshing. And it wasn't like, you know, again, the Shaheen talking, he wasn't, that F-bomb wasn't directed at yet. No, it was, it was just frustration with the bad luck, you know, the bad fortune. And also us asking him the question every week for like three months. But but yeah, it was, you got an answer, bottom line, right? So God bless him for that. God bless him for that. So here's the question I have as, as we watch Rutgers become, sort of like a hipster darling of the college basketball larger world. Like the hipsters are starting to get on board with Rutgers as a cool choice. Seton Hall, pretty much since those Sterling Gibbs years, has been a factor. If they're not in the tournament, they're right around, right. they're right there on the bubble, right? St. Peter's makes noise. Then I start to look at the high schools. You know, St. Anthony's obviously set the tone for many years. You got the Patrick School, uh, Gil St. Bernard, Bergen Catholic, a, a bunch of powerhouse high school programs. Then you've got the playgrounds of New Jersey. The thing I wanted to discuss with you that I'm sure has been written about and that you've touched upon is, is there a Jersey style of basketball? Or am I just a fan who's lucky to be here when the two biggest programs in the state are on these hot streaks? Because I think of it and I go... There's certainly a North Carolina style of basketball that we all, that's like the, the smart players who can play for your coach K's and your Dean Smith's will go there. Right. I think you think Indiana certainly has this brand of like tough farm kid basketball. The Pacific Northwest has sent so many players to the pros and I'm starting to think there's a Jersey brand of basketball and maybe people can start to notice that it's connected to the New York city game, certainly, but I think it's its own thing. And I think you might be the person who could speak to this maybe more than anybody else on earth, not to put the pressure on. Well, look, look no farther than the Rutgers Seton hall game this year. I mean, the final scores in the forties and every guy who played in that game probably woke up sore the next day. So you have two, two of the best defensive teams of the country and two teams that uh, throw very sharp elbows. So I would say, the Jersey style of basketball is a sharp elbow, okay? That's, you know, you're going to have to kill me to get this loose ball. And that's the culture you've seen. It's taken Steve six or seven years, but you see Rutgers now so infused with that culture. And you've seen Seton Hall start to adopt it uh, on and off over the years. They've had it. And, you know, there was Angel Delgado would kill you for a rebound. Wow. You know, they were, he was so good to watch. Yeah. 
there have been guys like that, and now you have a team full of guys like that. So, so yeah, I would say that's it. I say Jersey basketball is get the loose ball at any cost, get the rebound at any cost, and I'm gonna and you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna beat you to loose ball, and then I'm gonna tell you about it. And if you watch one of these Seton Hall games closely, <laughs> Casey and Defo, who I think is a tremendous, you know, he has a chance to be a legend if he can help get Seton Hall to the tournament after leading St. Peter's to the Elite Eight. Casey Nadefo's lips flap the entire game. And most of the time, I think it gets in opponents' heads. I really do. So that's the kind of – that's Jersey. And he's a, you know, he's a New Yorker, but he's – come on, he's an honorary New Jerseyan. We can bestow that title on him after four years at St. Peter's and a year at the Hall. Um, this is a New Jersey style of basketball. Uh, you're going to – I think you're going to see this become the identity of these programs in a, in a long haul. Like soft players – Finesse players uh, are not going to come here or thrive here. It's going to be that that player at the park who you want to you want to run over with your car after the game because they they punched you in the throat for forty minutes. That's that's the Jersey basketball that's going to make things work here. I think it is it is a style of basketball that someone might lose an eye, and everybody's totally okay with that. <laughs> right? Is how I would say it, it, right. when I watch it, and it's. I get the sense that if you're from Jersey, it's really a reflection of the state's personality in a way that makes it so fun for us to watch. But you get the sense when you read about these games. Like if you go on the college basketball Reddit after a Rutgers or Seton Hall game, opposing fan bases find these games to be ugly and at times borderline unwatchable because the offense suffers so much. But it's a beautiful thing when you're from here. In the same way that we have an appreciation for those refineries when they light up around the turnpike <laughs> and you know how a lot of the best places to eat in Jersey, you got to drive through industrial areas to get through them, get to them. Our basketball is a real reflection of the state's attitude. And anybody who's listening to this, if you start watching from that perspective, even if you're not a sports fan, if you're a fan of Jersey between Rutgers and Seton Hall, you'll find some player that you love. And to me, Chris, the best the best play in a basketball game is the shot clock violation from a defense's yes. perspective. And I feel like you can measure the jerseyness or jersey IQ of a fan base by how they how they react to their team getting a shot clock violation versus dunking the ball or hitting a three pointer, right? Which are like the quintessential highlight, you know, blow the roof off plays. And I think we've reached a point. Seton Hall's been there for a while. I think Rutgers fans, a lot of whom are coming over from football, right? Rutgers fans have now reached the point where a shot clock violation gets as loud of an ovation, if not louder, than a dunk or a block shot or a three-pointer. That's the distilled quintessential New Jersey play. It's a team effort. It takes five guys. It's It takes, you know, 30 seconds. You got to play a long-haul defensive series and – the result is not sexy, but it's super effective and deflating for the other team. That's it in a nutshell. Uh, just, just to think of some of the – you named Angel Delgado, but I sit here and I go, man, these Rutgers-Seton Hall games, I love that they're annual events, and I feel like they're only going to get bigger if, if these Rutgers recruiting classes stick and these players actually show up and if Seton Hall can continue to find transfers. Because just to name some of the players over the years, you think of it, you go – to watch guys like Angel Delgado, Quincy McKnight, Derek Gordon going up against guys like Caleb McConnell, Paul Mulcahy, I'm like, these are players where they are they are the basketball equivalent of like the guy at the junkyard who pulls the lever to crush the car. Like that's <laughs> their attitude. And they go up against each other once a year and it's carnage and it's pure jersey. And yeah. I love it. And that's it. And that's the game came really close to going off the rails, Chris. During you know during COVID, uh, there was yeah there was sort of uh, I think Kevin you know when Kevin and Willard and I talked about this a lot, like he felt like it was a no win situation for him that you know he was expected to beat Rutgers no matter what. It had become very hard to beat Rutgers in Piscataway, and you know Rutgers wasn't holding up its end of the bargain like metrics wise. It was a bit, it would be a bad loss and not a great win. And I try to tell Kevin, like, A, those things are changing, and B, 
Like, this is what you do. You know, you're the Seton Hall basketball coach. You play Rutgers. You know, you're the Rutgers basketball coach. You play Seton Hall. Like, people want this. This matters. There's no other Jersey versus Jersey sporting event in a major American sport. I mean, the Jets and Giants play, what, every every four years? Uh, and that's it. So this is it. So luckily, cooler heads prevailed. And, yes, the, the game is only going to get bigger. And no matter how big it gets – Seton Hall is not opening the upper deck for Rutgers fans. They're keeping that thing closed, the curtain closed. <laughs> and boy, do I get a lot of emails and texts about that. But no, that's part of it. Like the thing, that's what makes it great in a way. The thing spills over to the administration, to the coaches. And they get along. You know, there's no one's going to strangle. No one's going to throw a punch Juwan Howard style. But the thing, it, it's in everybody's blood. And that's that's what makes it great. And when the team, both teams are good, the game is spectacular. And Chris, look at look at how valuable that Rutgers win is for Seton Hall right now. Like if oh, they get yeah. into the NCAA tournament, that game's gonna be exhibit A for them on selection Sunday to the committee to let them in. So like that's that save the saving of that series is paying off immediately for the hall. And I just think it for the long haul, it's great for everybody. It's absolutely true. I do know there's a long there's this long cliche about football in New Jersey. Um, which is that, you know, Rutgers is pretty much the team. The, uh, it's the only major college team in New Jersey. And there's, there's this longstanding cliche. If Rutgers could just convince all the best Jersey players to stay home, they'd be a powerhouse. But unfortunately, a lot of coaches around the country poach the best Jersey guys because they know the talent that's there. Uh, that's led to Shiano, Greg Shiano, the football coach at Rutgers, right? The big phrase is fence the garden, fence the garden state, put a fence around it. Don't let anybody out. I'm wondering, I'm not as familiar with the pipeline of basketball talent. I know AAU is a complicated thing. There's private schools and basketball academies. Is there a similar thing with Jersey basketball players? Do, do coaches outside of Jersey value that Jersey grit, those types of players that come out of here, do they get poached as much or is it our finesse players that tend to leave? You know, it's just, I don't know if there's a general type. I do think coaches, like you hear them, you do hear coaches a lot talking about Jersey toughness and that's part of it. But a big part of it is we just produce a lot of talented players. You know, you have, you have some densely populated areas where basketball is in the culture. It's in, it's ingrained. It's been really good for a long time. I mean, the Newark area, you know, Essex County, Union County, has just produced a tremendous amount of players. Middlesex County, you know, call towns. Uh, there's players just coming out of here left and right. Camden County with the Wagners. And so part of it is, yeah, that Jersey toughness. Coaches love that. You do hear them say that. Part of it is Jersey's just a basketball state. You know, it's just in the blood. It's one of the big sports here the same way maybe like volleyball is in California. Uh, you know, some of these in the, in the Midwest, like Iowa with wrestling. You know, the Jersey produces basketball players. I would argue at a much better rate than New York, New York City even in the last 10, 20 years, maybe longer. So I don't know that there, no one's ever going to have uh, a stranglehold on a pipeline. It's probably impossible. And Chris, there's so many factors that complicate recruiting, some of which were, now, were below board that are now above board. You know, one of the reasons I don't write a ton about recruiting is, well, A, there's a whole cottage industry devoted to it. So, like, they kind of have a corner on that market. But, B, I just don't like being lied to about why someone's committing where. There's so many things that are just not that are not brought to light or are not straightforward. And so, you know, I kind of lay off it until someone actually commits. But, yeah, I don't, the pipeline thing is kind of a dream. You do wonder. I do wonder if uh, there's, probably, there's probably not a coach in the country who's tighter with a major pipeline school than Shaheen Holloway with the Patrick School. Right, that's his school. Chris Javon is the coach there. Is like a second father to Shah. You do, and you know Al Al Dawes played there. Uh, you do wonder if that's something that they can cultivate because that school's putting out big time players every year. I think it's possible, but there's a lot of complicating factors. But to answer your question, yeah, coaches do acknowledge from around the country acknowledge there's an edge, and they do appreciate the sharp elbows that come out of our state. I want to ask you about something, and I don't want to put you in a spot because there's a situation that I find kind of tragic as a Jersey basketball fan. Um, you absolutely, I'm sure, know way more about it than's ever been revealed on the record, and I'm not asking you to spill the hot gossip, as, as they might say. But 
to whatever degree you can speak of it, there's a situation where one of the most, there is a player who's now sort of on this blacklist as far as fan, the fandom, whereas he was built to be a Jersey legend forever. Um, and anyone watching, if you want to see a Jersey player who was overlooked, who came out and punched above his weight and built some moments where your jaws on the floor, you're going, I can't believe this. There's a Seton Hall player named Miles Powell, hmm. where I will say, I have so much love for Miles Powell to this day. I feel like I'm someday, I'm someday going to tell my son, I saw Miles Powell play live and y'all never even totally understand what that experience was. I remember going, bringing game, getting friends of mine from the city who were just cat, like NBA fans texting me going, you're a Seton Hall fan, right? Can we go to a Seton Hall game? I got to see this kid in person. Like fans who weren't, people who weren't even a fan of the college game coming out to the Prudential Center to meet me. There's a bad situation where he sued the school. The fan base kind of made him persona non grata. It's now come out that it seems like he's claiming that the trainers lied to him about an injury they knew about. It's such a sad situation to me. And I sit here and I worry, is he not going to occupy his proper place in New Jersey folklore because of this situation? And I wonder if you think that's a relationship that might bounce back someday. Good question. I don't mind talking about it. Uh, you know, I was very close with Miles. I, I really loved watching him play. He was great with the media. Uh, I thought he represented Seton Hall as well as anybody possibly could on and off the court for his, his four years there. And, uh, I haven't spoken with him. I've tried to, to, to reach out to him numerous times. Um, I do think you're right. His legacy is, is taking a hit. The, now this whole situation is unresolved. So we'll have to see where it goes legally. Uh, you know, was, his first lawsuit was very sloppy and thrown out of court. Dismissed with prejudice. He's refiled, alleging some new details and we'll see where it goes. I mean, this is in the early stages. Um, I don't know all the, all everything that's gone on. I'm not, you know, I'm not privy to all these, all these things. I do know though, that two things, one is, uh, yes, he has, he has damaged his standing and by proxy his the standing of that entire 2020 team, which is a shame because that team won a big East title and it was never celebrated, right? They win the thing. They get, they get a share of the title. Creighton throws this huge celebration with those guys sitting there on the bench after the game, because it was a three-way tie, if they had lost that game at Creighton, and then they're, they're still Big East champions, right? And then the next week, the world shuts down. And so, like, two years later, a banner surfaces for the champion. It was never a banner raising. There was never a thing, no reunion. And, you know, will there be, can there be, if Miles Powell and, the, and Seton Hall Athletics are estranged? Not right now. And so... They say, Chris, time heals all wounds, right? It's a cliche. We all know it. We'll see. Uh, I do think the one thing that maybe could help put some bomb on the situation is that Shaheen Holloway still has a relationship with Miles. You know, when Shah and St. Peter's won the MAC title last year, Miles texted him congratulations that night. Uh, I know they have communicated some. You know, Miles is playing on the other side of the world right now. So if anybody could bring, you know, Shah's a charismatic guy. If he could, if anybody could bring Miles back into the fold, it's it's Shaheen. And uh, Shaheen was a really big mentor to him when, when, when Shaheen got the St. Peter's job. Miles Powell showed up to the introduction, you know, in in Jersey City. He's the only Seton Hall player there. Wow. Uh, yeah. So there's a relationship there, and you hope that over time it heals. And and uh, but they're not there yet. And so I don't know when they're going to get there. I, I assume eventually they, it will happen, but not now. And you're right. Powell is a top five all-time Seton Hall player and the number one ambassador because there, he's been interviewed, photographed, you know, uh, had more social media impressions than any Seton Hall player ever, okay? Because of the age we live in, he's a first-team All-American. And so it is, it is a – it's like a – uh, it's a it's a lingering source of pain, I think, for a lot of people. And so maybe eventually it'll get resolved and Shaheen can do that. But there has to be some some reckoning behind closed doors for that to happen. It's not happened yet. And you're right. That's a sad thing for those of us who, who have watched the situation closely. 
again, for anybody who's just a fan of Jersey, if you want to know why I think this guy really represented the state, you got to go back and watch. If you just Miles Powell highlights, look him up. You're going to see him hitting shots from seven feet beyond the three point line. You're going to see him hitting shots where someone's two inches from his face and he somehow manages to shoot almost go horizontal or like 45 degree angle and hit a three pointer and get fouled and hit a foul shot that wins the game. And just always has this look of almost maniacal glee on his face when these things happen. And he's a great looking kid and he pops back up. And then on top of it, not only is he this sort of like reckless daredevil offensively makes it work. Jerry, one thing that I haven't seen, I never saw written about with Miles in his career, but that's probably the most Jersey thing about him. Being a Seton Hall fan during the, the dominant era of Miles Powell, one of the things I loved the most about him was one of the things that was also the scariest where most teams, if there's a fight, there's some bulldogs and some enforcers that are going to be the ones to run in and in the big east look I, the old big east was known for it the new big east is a tough sure. league too they they anybody who feels like the big east is dead it's not those de- they games gets chippy still miles powell if one of his teammates had somebody in, in that their face the first person running into every fight was miles powell and i would sit there yelling at my tv going no you can't you can't be the guy to run in and throw the punch on behalf of your teammate. Like, I yeah. love you for it. I love that you're the guy who's doing it. But we can't have you get suspended because the eighth man, like the a bench player is getting in a fight. We can't have you. He didn't care. That was who he was. And that, to me, I'm like, that's one of the most Jersey. Indiv- He's up there with adopted son Arturo Gatti as far as most Jersey sports figures I've ever seen. He really cared. You know, that's the other thing. Like, so he scores 35 points at Georgetown in 2019. Seton Hall loses a game in, in late, uh, early March, late February, 2019 with the NCAA tournament hanging by a thread. And he comes out of the locker room. It was just me and him in the hallway. And uh, he's in absolute tears. I mean, completely bawling. And I have seen enough basketball to know there are plenty of guys who, if their team loses but they score 35, they got a little pep in their step after the game, right? Because they did themselves a service. But tears in Miles' eyes, I mean, was bawling. He cared. You know, the, the, the most, one of the most memorable Miles Powell moments is that crazy game that season against Marquette in Big East Tournament semifinals. Powell got, he got uh, two technicals, two techs, one tech and one intentional foul. And he thought he was ejected. So he runs into the yes. locker room. Yes. And they send Dwayne Woodward, the assistant coach, in there after him because the ref says he hasn't been ejected. Miles is in, in, on the bench with his head in his hands. And they drag him out. You know, like, dude, you're not ejected. He comes out, takes over the game, Seton Hall wins, goes to the Big East final. So the guy, he cared. And I think that's well, what does any sports fan want of their sports? their teams and their players. They just want them to care as much as they do. Right. And that's like where, what college basketball is, where it's great is that most of these players care as much as the fans do. And you look at the NBA and you wonder sometimes does does Kyrie Irving care? You know, does he get mad when he loses, you know, but these guys do. And that's what makes it great. And miles Powell was a great example of that during his time at the hall. And you brought up the name. I just have to say, I mean, put out a spoiler. One of the episodes I want to record soon is who's the least Jersey Jersey person. And I'm going to argue that Kyrie Irving might be the least Jersey Jersey person based on him constantly demanding his way out of adverse situations. And, and I tell you, he's a West Orange native as am I, I sit there, I go, man, I love talking about who's the most Jersey. Maybe we got to go a little negative and think least Jersey. Cause he, I mean, least- he's kind of an embarrassment uh, for the, to the state. Let's be honest. But like you have Carl Towns, who the other big time prominent Jersey NBA guy, who is the polar opposite, right? Great and, guy. It seems. You know, great guy. Uh, he's a terrific NBA player, a good ambassador for the sport. Great with kids, with charities. Um, and so, you know, and, and Kyrie is generous. He is generous. I mean, he does give away a lot of money to good cause. He's given a lot to St. Pat's, his alma mater, but to- totally different personas. And yeah, we, you know, that's, that's the thing. So maybe we, we can just, this Jersey podcast can just deem him least Jersey and let's not spend any more time on that clown. It's true. It really, I, I, we, it, it's funny when you, anybody who knows basketball, everything we described about Jersey basketball and what makes it great Somehow the greatest pro player from Jersey checks 
almost none of those boxes. It's really remarkable. In yeah. a way where you almost go, is his, is his origin story a complete rejection of Jersey basketball? And that had to have helped make him great. Who knows? I, but I do wonder, and this is the last thing I want to waste on that guy, but I do wonder, <laughs> I do wonder, Chris, if he had spent some time, some real time in college, yeah. you know, he was at Duke, but he didn't play. He was hurt most of the year. Would it have changed him? Would that have, would those formative years have given better perspective on things on, you know, team being part of a team and, representing a school or a place. I don't know. Maybe. Even didn't, didn't Jersey didn't help Duke. Anything. As soon as you pick Duke, I question your Jersey credentials. <laughs> well, you pick Duke. There's been a lot of heartache from Rutgers involving Duke over the years, right? I mean, you had, you had Jason Williams, who was, you know, Jay Williams, who had, you know, one foot in at Rutgers, and then he winds up at Duke. Um, and then you had uh, Dante Jones, who had two really good years at Rutgers, goes to Duke. That was my Lance era. Thomas. Lance Thomas was had a foot at Rutgers as a commitment. Goes to Duke, winds up in the NBA. Now they're battling over it's Duke and Rutgers for uh, for for the next Harper, uh, Dylan Harper, Ron's younger brother. So yeah, there's been a lot of Duke Rutgers heartache over the years. So I can see why someone from Jersey would be would be now. Nah. There's been one the other way though. Seton Hall got got Andre Sweet from Duke. He helped them make the NCAA tournament. And famously, Shaheen Holloway, I believe Coach K said Shaheen Holloway is the only person that ever took two visits to Duke and didn't commit there. So the, the, the legend, again, with recruiting, who knows? But the, the, the lore is and that Shah did not want to leave his daughter. He had a one-year-old or an infant daughter who eventually went to Seton Hall as a grad, as a Seton Hall grad. She's a full-blown adult now. But uh, that Shah didn't want to leave his daughter. That's why he wanted to stay local. So a good man. it is a great story. It really is. It really is. Now, you and I could ramble about basketball all day. I think people have sensed my very genuine enthusiasm for this. I'm wondering, are there, whether it's more under the radar programs than Rutgers and Seton Hall and the St. Peter's explosion last year, whether it's non-basketball stories, are there things, are there, are there Jersey things that you've covered or you know about that you're like, this is not the most widely known thing, but if you're a fan of New Jersey, you'd love X, Y, and Z. Like I've loved telling people, I've, I've got a longstanding love of Arturo Gatti. And I know a lot of our fans are probably not fans of uh, boxing matches from the late 1990s. So I've had a lot of joy filling them in on that. Are there stories out there, things that are happening at, at the writers or mammoths of the world? Like I love that mammoths, just the fact that mammoths coach is named King Rice. I go right there, I... There's something to love. And he's a real character too. I get that sense. I get yeah. that sense. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, there's, I mean, there's great stories everywhere. Uh, in, in sure. when you have a place like Jersey, that, that is basketball centric as it is, there's a million stories you could write. And, uh, you know, Princeton's an interesting one because like Princeton's in Jersey, but it's not really of Jersey, you know, no way. And oh, they've, so, they've like, heard a, me rant on this show. Anytime the word Princeton comes up, I start ranting. It's like its own little fiefdom within Jersey, right? Yeah, and you like go the there. It's like Montclair of Central Jersey. Like you're not better than us. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning Central Jersey, by the way. Yeah, I, Pete Genovese, your your uh, bro brethren, your journalistic brethren. He set me straight when we interviewed him. He was he said that joke is old and it's played out. Here's Central Jersey, and he named every county. I said, okay, I can't. You can't. Who's going to argue Jersey knowledge with Pete Genovese? You'd have to he, be a yes. fool. And I'm not, I'm totally seconding that, that notion. And also I will say while we're on the topic, I will go with Taylor ham. Okay. I love that you said, let's put the one debate to rest. And then I will immediately throw gas on the fire of the other. This is so this is all, not answering your question yet. And I'll get back to Princeton <laughs> in a minute. And then I have a story about Princeton involving me getting thrown out of a bar there. Love but, it. but I want to, so I'm from, I grew up in Old Bridge and then I, you know, I went to Seton Hall. I lived in South Orange for five years. And then uh, I lived in Belmar for six summers in a crazy, you know, Belmar summertime party zone. And then I have lived for the last 20 years in South Jersey. My wife's from South Jersey. And when we got married, she was like, I want to live near my parents. And I'm 20 something year old. Me was like, well, why would I want to do that? And she's like, cause they're going to help with the kids. And boy, was she right. She's been right about a lot over me over the years, but that one she got exactly right. So I live here in, in South Jersey in Burlington County, and it's kind of disgraceful at times for me because it's, you know, it's Eagles country. It's my, both of my kids went to school today wearing Eagles t-shirts. 
because the schools are having pep rallies. I mean, it's just infuriating, man. Um, I'm a fish out of water down here. No matter how long I've lived here, my son's like, why don't you just root for the Eagles? I'm like, you don't, cause you don't change who you are. That's why. Yeah. So there's this, the Taylor ham, the, the people down here refuse to acknowledge it. So I bring that up all the time. The hoagies thing, hoagies versus subs. I can't do it. I'm with you. I'm yeah. With it's a you. cultural, big cultural gap. Um, the, uh, the 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 Wawa finally like Wawa's made its way north, so we're good there. But um, the Mummers parade, like, what is the Mummers, okay? And why should anybody care about them? And Scrapple is another thing. My father-in-law likes to make Scrapple, and I told my son, just dump it in the trash. I mean, don't eat that stuff. People, normal people, don't eat that stuff. So there's a lot of weird. And it's, I'm in Jersey. I don't live in Philadelphia. I don't live in Bucks County. I'm in Jersey, you know. There's a lot of weird cultural things going on down here. So Central Jersey is one of them. Like, people won't acknowledge. People down here think everything north of, you know, Burlington County is, like, North Jersey. Like they think they think that Asbury Park's North Jersey, and it drives me absolutely crazy. So, all right, that's an aside. Back to Princeton. Princeton occupies this weird place in, like, the Jersey psyche, right? And so... Um, I think it's real interesting because Princeton has this tremendously successful basketball program that they don't, Princeton has a ton of money. Like they're made of money. They don't put a lot of money into the program. Uh, it's just kind of self-sustaining and they've had these coaches who are Princeton legacies. Uh, like I like Mitch Henderson, who's he's going to coach there for the rest of his life. Or he's never going to leave probably real successful. They bring players from all over the country. They have some Jersey guys. And there's a Rutgers guy who's an associate head coach there, uh, Brett McConnell, who, who's a you know, former Rutgers manager, who's helped bring them some Jersey players. But they have this nice, successful program, and they have this real niche following. And Jadwin Jim's a weird place. It's just like, have you ever been? I have not. Yeah, it's just like, it's this big, uh, like a multi-purpose giant gym where the court's off on the side. And it's a real weird, intimidating place. It's like a big gym, but a small gym. And so it's a, it's an odd little story. And I do think that like having watched them a few times, I think it would be a great st story how all these guys came together. You know, from, there's a guy from England, there's a guy from California and it's a bizarre mix and they play great basketball together. And so uh, I do think there's an interesting cultural story about like the New Jerseyans, if Princeton makes the NCAA tournament and they win a game, you know, which they could, they're good. And they become like a little mini St. Peter's type story. Do New Jerseyans rally around that? You know, do they identify with Princeton or are they just those, that Ivy League school that's not really us, they're just there? And I, that might be something I look into in March a little bit. Now, on to my throwing out of a bar story. Okay. Um, I have a feel, a feel for the place a little bit because I advised a fraternity there for a number of years in my younger days. And uh, the... Um, there's a bar called the Alchemist and Barrister. You ever hang out on Nassau Street? I've been down Nassau Street, sure. All right, good place. This is on Witherspoon. Uh, nice, really nice place, upscale, but yet you can hang out there. And so we, the advisors, took all the seniors out. They're going off into the world. And when you leave Princeton, you don't, you don't see each other anymore. Like, they go all to where they came from, all over the world, you know? It's not like we're in Jersey. Like, we see all our friends from college and from high school. They're around. Like, Princeton's not like that. They go back to wherever they came from. So... So uh, we're, we're buying everybody around. It's the last time everyone's going to see each other, maybe forever. And so there's a lot of drinking going on, okay? And then the last round comes, and I'm done. I'm done at this point. I can't drink anything else. And it's, it's Belvedere vodka. And I had a vodka incident in college, so I have this aversion to it. People have aversions, right? I got my whiskey drink. aversion. You have a whiskey one. I mean, I don't, I'm sober many years in general, but when I was a drinker, whiskey was not on, based on an incident on Plum Street in New Brunswick, uh, whiskey was off the list. Couldn't do it. So I can't, I can't drink straight vodka. So I'm like, I cannot drink this. So I'm like, this is just, everyone's drunk. This is just going to go over my shoulder. No one is going to notice, right? Unfortunately, when I put the glass, shot glass over my shoulder, it slipped out of my hands and, and hit some woman, middle-aged woman, Who's, I say middle age, probably my age at that time now, uh, hits her while she's having dinner with her husband. And boom, all of us got tossed out of there. So that's my culture clash, Nassau Street, Princeton, Jersey guy story. You got thrown out of the bar for trying to be responsible. Yes, I did. How about that? So wow. 
Yeah, I've only been thrown out of two. Story. I've been thrown out of two bars. I was thrown out of the River Road Tavern in Piscataway for I. I was dancing. I don't know why. I was knocked over a, a table with bottles on it. I thought that was unjustified. It was an accident, but I was definitely justified in Princeton to be tossed from that. I have been back since, so I'm not. I'm not blacklisted. But that's sort of my fish out of water. Princeton's a different place, and I do think if they have some success. Will, will New Jerseyans get behind them the way they got behind St. Peter's? Like, St. Peter's was us, right? It was us. It was the blue-collar, you know, kids who had grown up in, in out of the spotlight who just played their rear end off, and that was why people in the state glommed onto it so much. I, will, will they do that with Princeton? I don't know. It's something I'm that would be interesting to explore. It's also a real story of St. Peter's fits the scrappy image of, of your Hudson County. Right. Ties right into Essex and Bergen, that, that North Jersey toughness, right? And that's what we all want Jersey to be. But yes, a lot of us don't always admit there's large stretches of Jersey that are some of the richest zip codes in the nation. There's large stretches of Jersey where the class dis- and Princeton does represent that in a big way. And that's when you start to get down towards your Hunterton, Mercer counties, right. you start to see some of that uh, Somerset, you know? It is a real Jersey story right there of can they be welcomed into the larger basketball fold? It's right. cool, and I look forward to reading it. And you know, like- Rutgers played them for 100 years, literally 100 years. And as you know, they played the first, the first college football game, the first football game ever played of mm-hmm. American football was Princeton and, and Rutgers, and they played basketball for 100 years. And Eddie Jordan canceled the series after Princeton beat him a couple times, and Steve Peichel hasn't picked it back up. And that's like, to me, that's wrong. I mean, there should be, this is tradition. Like tradition is a lot of what sports is about, right? And, but there's not been, because it's Princeton, like there hasn't been this great outcry of we got to pick this back up. Whereas, you know, if, if Rutgers dropped Seton Hall, which they won't, but if they did, like people would go absolutely nuts. But because it's Princeton and they're kind of the other, I guess, there hasn't been as great of an outcry about it. So yeah, it's a little, little psychological piece that goes beyond it's more about the state you know it's an interesting thing for a a jersey-centric podcast to ponder indeed and you know philly has the big five right they call it the uh which is always such a pain in villanova's ass because villanova up up until this year historically is so much head and shoulders above my brother's alma mater lasalle saint joe's which has good years here and there but it, you do start as a Jersey basketball fan. I'm like, ooh, imagine if enough of the programs got good enough to justify some Jersey version of them all trying to run the gauntlet and cut each other's throats to be the national Jersey representative. It would be a pain in the ass, but man, it kind of makes me salivate a little bit thinking about it. People ask me all the time, can we have like a Jersey tournament? Can we have a Jersey round robin? A tournament, probably not, because a tournament puts you at risk of Seton Hall and Rutgers not playing. Yeah. Like, and why would you give up that golden goose every year? But a round robin, yeah, you'd love to see. And like Shaheen Holloway has said, I'll play any Jersey team. So the next day when he said that, I was on the phone with the coaches at Princeton saying, <laughs> there it is. It's on the record. Try to get that game. We'll see. Uh, he did, you know, he does, he did play St. Peter's, which a lot of coaches won't do, won't play the school they left. You know, Steve Peichel only did it with Stony Brook because it was in his contract at Stony Brook. But oh, they, had wow. to give him, they had to give him a home and home. So Shaheen did it because this is, you know, he believes in it. I guess he's, he's you know, a New Jersey guy, even though he's originally from New York, but he's a Jersey guy. So we'll see. That'll test the limits of it. But, yeah, that Jersey round robin gets brought up to me quite a bit, and it would be great if these schools play each other and we'll see if Seton Hall follows through and actually does it would be incredible. And man, what a fun beat you've had the past few years. I have to imagine seeing, you know, Seton Hall's always coming on, right. And they've always kind of been Jersey's kingpin school, but seeing them solidify it under those Kevin Willard years, really, I brought up Sterling Gibbs, which brought back for me, a fan that had always watched, but was pretty casual by that point that Sterling Gibbs run got me into it. And then the Isaiah Whitehead forward, it's been such a joy to be a fan. And now Rutgers, same thing. I have to imagine for you, it makes your job a lot more pleasant and fun, although it's own headaches in a way. Oh, no, it's great. I mean, you wouldn't trade in. We, I went through the, the, the rough years, you know, when when Rutgers was really bad, Fred Hill and then, you know, Mike Rice and the, his firing and that whole scandal. And then Eddie Jordan. I mean, it was it was hard to cover the team. It, it sucks covering a team that's terrible. You know, because what happens is, in addition to watching bad basketball and running out of things to write about, people lose interest. Yeah. So, like, my job is now is all predicated on people's interests. So like, when I don't, 
when there's no interest, there's no job really. So unless there's scandal, you know, which who wants to live their life writing about scandal? Maybe some people do, not me. But I like to write about good basketball, compelling stories. When the teams are good, you know, you get that. I can't, you know, I wrote something about Flagman, Seton Hall's Flagman last week. I just week. read it. It was great. Like, that story works when Seton Hall is playing well. If Seton Hall was, you know, in, in last place in the Big East, like people aren't going to read it. You know, I wrote something a couple of weeks ago about Steve Peichel, how much he loves the pep band. And I asked him, I asked Steve, what, what is, uh, what music is in your playlist? You know, no one's ever asked him these questions. Uh, what What would you recommend if you could pick a song for the pet band? You know, he's like something from Bruce Springsteen. I tried to nail him down on a specific. He would go there, but you get to. No one's going to read about Steve Peichel and the pet band if Ruckers is getting their rear end kicked every night. So, like, these are things I can do that are fun, and people would be like, "That's great," because the team's good. And so it does matter. And those years were tough, man. And when the team's bad and you have to be critical, you butt heads with people too. Like I just, I did not get along with, with Bobby Gonzalez and Fred Hill, you know, cause the team, there was, they were not good. There were a lot of problems uh, on and off the court. I had to write about it. I got to, you got to call it as it is. And that bothered them, you know, and I can understand that from their standpoint, but, but it was four miserable years. Like you don't want to live like that. Like if that was kept going, I'd probably be off the beat by now. But you know, I weathered it. We I moved on. The coaches changed. The programs changed. And yes, you are totally correct. When when the teams are good and there's fan energy and reader enthusiasm, it makes the job great. So that's where we're at right now. And if anybody listening is like, "What's Seton Hall's flag, man?" Oh, you want to talk about a Jersey story? There's a giant blue flag that gets trotted out at Seton Hall games. And the, the whole game of it is to see how much this college kid can grab this flag that is unwieldy. I mean, it is, it is a monstrous flag. And then you count how many laps he can run. And the crazy message board that I mentioned, one of the things that drives me nuts is I remember reading there was a previous flag man who just kept dropping the flag early. Yeah, he dropped it on Seton Hall's huddle last year. It landed on, it landed on one of the players. And then you're going on it for anybody who might be finding it from the message board. I read the message board. I don't post full disclosure, but I mean, I call from hall line. If you listen to hall line over the years and you hear Chris from West orange, that's generally been me over the years. That? I call it in. I love hall line. That's Hall-Line's an institution, great. man. Oh, hall line is the best used to prank call it as a kid. And I call it seriously. Right? <laughs> I love it. But to see this message board where I'm going, this is guys my age and older and people going, they should not only fire him as flagman; he should be expelled from the university. What? This is a child, guys. It's a kid. He's a college oh kid. Oh my goodness! Let him drop the flag. It's fine. But you wrote a great article about how they found the newest flagman. They almost very, didn't have one. Funny. I mean, they had no. They had no male cheerleaders. They put out an open call. Only two people showed up, and it almost didn't happen. I mean, what a shame! Like this is traditions are what make college sports great sports in general and life in general too but traditions make it great like Seton Hall has this thing where the guy runs around with a giant flag until he's ready to drop you know and the fans love it it's great so I'm glad it was able to continue it's a fun story to be able to write uh I it took me a while to figure out how it began I knew kind of it began when I was in college but whose idea was it where to come from it's fun researching this stuff and I feel like you add you, part of the job when you cover these beats, a beat like this long term is you are part historian, right? Yeah. So like, I feel like it's my, it's my job to say where things came from, um, to have historical context, to, to be able to say who are the greatest players ever uh, and where do these traditions come from? And that's like, I try to do a little bit of that every year. There's a joy in that, in, in helping write the history of this sport or this team or this beat. And that's part of the job that I take very seriously. It's true. And and you're chronicling the history with college sports in a culture that turns over every four years as well. So it doesn't always, people participating in it don't always have the longest historical context for things. And, the other, and that's true too, of course, because of the turnover. And the other thing, Chris, is that like, it's just me sometimes. I mean, when you, you know, Art Stapleton's my friend who covers the Giants for the record, and he does a great job, but but the, there's like 40 people covering the Giants. So all this stuff has been explored and plumbed a gazillion times. And sometimes it's just me. Like I'm the only person who's been doing this over a period of years. Are there are other people who have come on and the faces change, but mostly it's just been me yeah. covering this college basketball beat. And like I said, we have other people who do a good job, but they're on it for two or three years and they move on to something else. And so I have, I take it seriously, but when it's just you, 
you got to do that. And also, but there's joy in doing that. Like you can be the resource for that in the way that no one can ever be covering a pro team in a pro market, like, like New York, New Jersey. Well, I'm sure like whoever covers Kentucky basketball or North Carolina, Duke basketball, or, you know, or uh, Ohio state football, like they have, a, it's a pro like environment with the way it's covered, but here it's just me. And that's also part of the charm. Like I get to do these things and, if I don't do them, maybe no one will. And so it's it's a fun thing to be able to explore. And also, just to give you props too, especially with Seton Hall, I mean, that team means a lot to people in Jersey and famously, now who knows how true this is, but the Seton Hall fan base has long, has long appreciated you because the view of the ledger has always been that Rutgers gets the clicks so they don't cover Seton Hall. And you're kind of the person who's kept that Seton Hall pipeline of information alive. And I think for a lot of, as a Seton Hall fan of many, many years, I just want to say thank you. You know, my, and I appreciate that, Chris. And I don't, I don't, it's just the, the with other, these other outlets, like you mentioned, NJ.com, they just turn over, they turn right. over the writers a lot. So there's no, there's not a lot of like institutional memory there. Uh, and, and with me, uh, it's, it's something my students, so I teach a journalism course at Kane University every year, right? And I teach a couple of them and I love it. It's a good side job. Kids keep you on their toes. Uh, my students inevitably ask me every year, you know, would you like to be promoted to cover the pros or would you? And, um, no, that is not a promotion. No, I don't want to be spending my life asking Kyrie Irving. There that guy is again. No, I don't want to be spending my time trying to get that guy to say three words or, yeah. the, you know, some version of that with someone else. No, I don't want to be just a number. This is what I want to do. You know, I don't want to move on to anything else. This is what I want to do. And that's and I don't, I don't begrudge anybody who wants to move on and cover a different beat. You know, the pros have a lot bigger spotlight on them. I like this. And so maybe that hopefully that comes through in the way I approach the job. But like, as I tell my students, there's no place I'd rather be. I love it. I love it. So we're recording this uh, first half of February. It's probably going to be a few weeks till we release it. I imagine it might be released in a in the thick of it as far as when your job gets busiest, which is March. Big East tournament, NCAA tournament announcements. I, I don't want to put the screws to you. If you had to guess, I mean, Rutgers seems like an absolute lock for the tournament. Yes, it would, they're getting it insane. in. It would be some sort of corruption would happen if they didn't. No, they're, they're going to get in. Which other Jersey teams? Uh, Seton Hall, they're on the bubble. Do they manage to steal one from Xavier, UConn? Do they do they win all the games they have to? Do you, what's your gut instinct? Or are they Boy, it's, a real, it's a real coin flip right now. The NIT? Do they play in the NIT if they get the invite? Probably. Uh, I do... I can tell you that I do feel like the NIT standing is diminished now that they've moved away from Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they probably will. I don't know that it's a lock. In the past, it would be a lock, right? Uh, but I think it's a real coin flip with Seton Hall. I think they could, I, if, you ha if I had to make a decision, I think they find a way to get in. It's going to be really close. They are trending, generally playing much better. So I think, you know, again, we'll know by the time this comes out, but it'll be close. I think they might find, I think they probably will find a way. Uh, not probably. If I had to guess, I'd say they'd find a way 51, 49%. It's close. Um, the, the other schools, uh, I think Princeton will win the Ivy league. And also we'll get into that fun bit, you know, when the time comes. And then, uh, I think FDU has got a real good shot of winning, uh, winning the Northeast conference. Chris, you want a New Jersey cultural sports experience. If FDU is hosting the, the Northeast conference championship game, Go to Rothman Center. I mean, imagine you got like a, a three or four thousand seat gym hosting a championship game with an NCAA tournament berth on the line. Like that would be a circus. So I think FDU has a very good shot. I don't know if Ryder's going to win the MAC. I think probably between Ryder, Siena, and Iona, it's a lot of competition there. So I would say the chances are lower for them. So probably three, you know, maybe four Jersey teams get in. And there hasn't been four since 1991. Wow. So we really are living in some glory days for this sport here in our beloved state. I love it. Jerry Carino, a man of wise words. I've read most of them and I uh, can't thank you enough for being the voice of reason amongst Seton Hall fans and a beacon of, a beacon of hope for a lot of us who, who want to know how the team's doing and for taking the time to do this today. It's been a joy and a pleasure to pick your brain. Thanks, Chris. I'm going to go have a Taylor ham egg and cheese sandwich right now to celebrate. Try not to, try not to get yourself killed down there saying that. <laughs> Will do. Thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. 
Jersey is the world is Chris Gethard, Nikki Bonaduce, Don Finelli, Andrea Quinn, Carson Kopp, and Mike D. New Jersey is the world is produced and edited by Carson Kopp, Mike D, and Andrea Quinn. You can find us online at New Jersey is the world and on Instagram at New Jersey is the world. Also, please feel free to reach out and leave us a voicemail by contacting the home office of New Jersey is the World at 973-780-4660 in regards to anything show or New Jersey related. Please subscribe and listen to more episodes of New Jersey is the World on your favorite podcast service. If you're looking to join our extremely opinionated and Jersey-ish community, head on over to Patreon.com and search for New Jersey is the World. We have merch, which you can find at BelowTheCollar.com after searching for Chris Gethard. Once again, thank you for listening to this presentation of New Jersey is the World. New Jersey is the World, where New Jersey is the World. <laughs>